Hello? Hi, it's Robert. Do you want to be on the show? Never call me again. Hello, welcome. My name is Robert, and this is Never Call Me Again. Amelia Zachary has an amazing story about her journey with bipolar, writing a book, writing a blog, and talking to us today. Let's give her a call. Hello. Good morning, Amelia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. How's your morning going? Good. I'm so sorry. I went over to tell my kids that I'm going to be busy for the next hour or so, and then that's when they had all these questions and things they needed help with. Yeah, that's that's okay, though, because it actually bought me some time. And, and you know, so the minute we we communicated that to each other, my dogs wanted to go out. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You were just outside. And um, and so it's just been one of those days, you know. I And so I just thought, you know, we're getting ready to re- record, and it's trash day where I live. And so we have, oh. um, yeah, and so we have a regular trash can, and then we, we pay for this gigantic, like, recycling container. Yeah. And so, and they don't, and it's the same company. But it's two separate trucks, and they come at very different times. And so we'll 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 have the pleasure of of them being on the show today at some point. Um, <laughs> but hey, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, I am um, I'm a writer and I'm a blogger, and I write about my life. I'm writing a memoir on my life with um, post trauma processing and bipolar disorder. And so a lot of my stories tell about how that came around and my life with it. I, um, you know, and so I know a lot of people that transitioned from writing a blog to, and, and then, and so then they're, they're on YouTube now. And so they, they wrote a blog and, and then they started doing a vlog, which, you know, for anybody that doesn't know is a, a video blog. And, and then they're just full-time, you know, full-on YouTubers and, and, you know, who knows what they're doing now. Um, I've read your blog and I, I wonder, and so like with, with what I do, I have analytics and I can see how many people are, are listening, when they're listening, you know, that sort of thing. Do you have that with blogging? I'm sorry, come again? Do, do, you, do, have, have an, do you have analytics? Do you, are, are you able yeah. to see how many people? And, and I get to see how many people, but not the demographics, of course. I don't get to see whether they're women or not who are reading it, but I hope that there are a lot of women. I would I would bet that there are. And and so I don't know. And, and I purposely didn't go and look. I, you know, I, I have a vague understanding of what bipolarism, and I think most people probably have, unless it's something that you deal with, either with yourself or, or with a family member or a friend, I think people really probably have a vague understanding of what bipolar is. And so, I think people, I'm sorry, I think people have a, an, uh, an idea of bipolar being, um, uh, there's no kind way to say it, but this is the stigma around it, that you're either really crazy or you're laying in bed crying. And so this is kind of why I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to speak out about it because it's a lot, a lot more than just that. 
Does does bipolar manifest itself differently with different people? Yes, definitely. Okay. There's like I think several types of bipolar even within the bipolar family. And what I have and what I can speak to is bipolar two, which is it manifests itself with hypo hypomanic episodes where the mania is not full blown mania and um, the other end of it being prolonged major depressive episodes. And how how long do these last? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there is there is there like a do you do you have a cycle of like you know this is going to be this way for three days and this is going to be this way for fourteen days? Does it does it does it just kind of alternate <laughs> and, and just happens? It's absolutely, it's absolutely unpredictable in its occurrence, and it's difficult to say how long it ever stays. In my experience, I've had a depressive episode that lasted a whole year, and then I also had. I've also had um, hypomanic episodes that lasted me several months. And then there are the ones that last a week or two, you know. So it, there's no there's no predictability to what happens when. And that's the struggle with this illness. What what exactly is hypomanic? I'm sorry? What what exactly is is the hypomanic? What is that? Oh, so hypomanic is a form of mania that's not um, completely extreme. It's a lower, I, 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 I do things such as I overspend or I overcommit. I have grandiose feelings of myself that I'm capable. I suddenly feel like Superman. I can do anything I want. And I, <clears throat> I believe that I'm, I'm capable of a lot of things that are really not very rational or realistic. And then I overcommit myself and I send myself into anxiety, anxiety spirals. And I'm overly anxious, usually. I'm irritable. And there's no reason for it. You know, it's not like there is, there's something that's irritating me. I'm just generally irritable. And they're racing thoughts and rapid speech. Um, those are some of the symptoms that I experience with my hypomanic episodes. You just explained so many people's average day. Um, I think it's, it's really interesting to, to, to be able to look at what you, what you deal with every day and, and understand that, you know, these are issues that a lot of people deal with for, for other reasons. You know, sometimes we just are, are, I I think a lot of people get so, such big heads that, you know, oh, I'm amazing and I can do absolutely anything. And then they, they try to do it and they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe not. And then, and that can be an issue. But you you have an an actual medical issue that keeps well, it you. Becomes, it becomes something that's dysfunctional, and it disrupts my life. That's why it's part of the illness. Right. And I might in that time feel like I can do I can volunteer in all these places and all these things. I can rush from this one thing to the next, and my mind's just racing. But then the hypomania eventually dies down, and when it's gone, you're left with these pieces to pick up which then you realize were not rational decisions. It, and so that this dysfunction in your life, disruption in the life is what makes it part of the illness, I think. Is that when the, the depression sets in? or Usually, usually if I have a really high high, I'm almost um, assured of a depressive episode. A really, as high as it was is, is how low it will go. Right. And, and so even with everything you're dealing with, you, um, 
you manage a really busy life, a really good life. And so you are, you are a mother, you're a wife, you're a writer, you have this blog. And so your website actually is really good. I'm jealous whenever I, I look at somebody and they have a great website that, you know, it's easy to navigate. Everything is right there. Um, there's absolutely nothing difficult about finding something on your website. It's just really well thought out. Did you, did you design the website? So I was going to say with this illness, I have been blessed, really blessed with a lot of kindness and support. And I have an amazing friend. My best friend is actually a designer and she's actually a branding consultant. And so she is good at this stuff. So when I said I was writing a book, she said, this is what you need. And people around me have come to a flow knowing my limitations and they're always I've been very blessed with people who have been ready to support me and ready to offer help and show me kindness and help me out in all the things to help me achieve all the things that I do. I'm, I've now come to a realization that I'm not alone and I've learned how to receive help and accept help and see it as just that, as people helping me out of the kindness of their heart. And that took a very long time for me to come to that realization. There was there was a time in my life where I thought I was alone and that I had no one and that no one would help me or no one would want to help me. And so that made things very difficult for me because there were things that I wanted to achieve, there were things that I want to accomplish in life. And I felt like I, was, I would never be able to do that because I'm ill. And so I'm very grateful, like my best friend who knows that I can get overwhelmed she helps me through the steps and she does she helps me out with a lot of things my husband helps me a lot with um, life around the house and like you said it looks like I have all my stuff together but I also have this network of people around me who help hold me up that's amazing and and so your your book and so the book the book's not out yet right not yet Okay, and so is is, is the is the book going to be is it a is it going to be a collection of of the blog writings? Is it going to be an extension of that? So I actually wrote the book before I wrote the blog. So the book is a memoir on my life, detailing my life on how I was from the rape and where I came from and the rape and how that brought about bipolar and my life with bipolar. And I'm hoping like this memoir is going to be one of those books that helps people who are going through it understand how a life with it is possible, a life with mental illness is possible, and a life after rape is absolutely possible. And there is hope. And I, that's my hope with the memoir. You know, you would think that that would, that would absolutely resonate and, and help with a lot of people and help them. I think there are so many people that go through traumatic, you know, occurrences in their life. And, you know, sadly, sadly, it seems like, you know, something really bad happens to us. And, you know, we, we kind of go within and, and isolate and, and, and deal with depression and, and, and loneliness and, and think that, we're the only one, and, and and we know logically, we know we're not the only one dealing with with things. But until someone else is is willing and has the courage to stand up and say, "Hey, here's 
here I am and here's my story and, and here's what I did. You know, we often, um, we're afraid to come out of that shell and, and be vulnerable and say, hey. And so that's that's what you've done. Oh, thank you. I, I hope that's, that's the hope is the memoir. That's the hope is the blog. And I think in a lot of instances, people believe this is the reality, right? When I'm depressed, my reality is the reality. Although it may not seem seem rational or logical to somebody else, that is the reality we live in, that I'm alone and no, and that in, that experience is so um, individual and so personal that it's difficult to believe that somebody else could be feeling the same way or thinking the same things. And I will agree that none of our experiences are exactly the same. However, the sentiment of suffering, the pain and struggles, and the hope that there is a way out of it or the, a way through it. I always say I live through mental illness. People say you live with mental illness. It's not like my neighboring friend I'm holding hands with all the time, you know. So mental illness is really something I'm living through. And so I think people feel that isolation. And I want them to see that there is a way that we can live through it and that life can be fulfilling and rewarding, given whatever the formula recipe that's needed for your individual life. And I'm sharing my story, and this is my, this is what has worked for me. Maybe it gives people some insight. Maybe it gives them some ideas. Maybe it just gives them hope. And so, yep, those are my thoughts on that. And so you mentioned earlier um, a, a post-traumatic um, issue that you deal with. Is that is that like PTSD, or is it different? It's, it's- PTSD, I say post-traumatic, uh, I say post-trauma processing. So I'm going through treatment to deal with PTSD. And so that's, that's, that's what it's called, processing the trauma, I guess. You know, it's funny though, you know, I think, and so a lot, a lot of people have PTSD and it's, it's not just veterans, it's, it's, it's a lot of people and, and you just never know what can happen in someone's life um, that can just have this really profound effect and, and make life really difficult to navigate. And um, what, what is funny to me about all of this is if you say, hey, um, you know, my, my, my aunt or uncle has diabetes or, you know, my, my friend has this form of cancer or, you know, my, you know, my buddy, he's got PTSD you know, these things are, every one of these things is absolutely okay. Um, no one, no one second guesses, no one, no one judges, no one says, you know, anything negative, you know, everybody's, you know, hundred percent behind you. The, the mainstream of, of like, you know, I'm bipolar or I, you know, have some type of psychosis, you know, whatever it may be. Um, there's the stigma of, you know, um, well, that's not okay. And, 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 and that bothers me, you know, it bothers me that, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, if, if you have a child and your child is not somewhere on the spectrum, you're kind of the black sheep of the community. Every, it's very, everybody has this, this thing, um, whatever it is, and it's completely acceptable. It's, it's almost like this honored position of, you know, this is what I have and this is what I deal with. 
And then mental illness is kind of this, this shroud of, of shame. And it, it really seems like you're trying to change that. You're trying to enlighten people and let people know that I'm exactly the same as you. I, I deal with some different things, but I'm, I'm incredibly valid and I'm incredibly present and I participate in life. Is that, is that kind of what you do? Absolutely. And I, sorry, this is why I think these conversations like we're having are so important, right? They, I want to be part of the conversations that normalize mental illness, that it's a medical condition and that it's something that we suffer with that requires treatment, requires management and requires a lot of help. And people are not getting that help because of the stigma around mental illness. And so some people don't even know that they have mental illnesses. You know, they might think that that's just a, oh, this is just something that I thought that. I thought that when I first, when I first uh, manifested my um, symptoms, I thought I was just being me, but I was self-destructive. And I thought that was just something I was doing to deal with my pain. I was, that was just a part of living. And when I was diagnosed, everything started to make sense. But I didn't want, did not want to go for the diagnosis to start with because I thought that that would be, I'm not crazy. You know, I, I don't need this. I don't need someone looking into my brain because I didn't have the understanding, the awareness or knowledge about mental health, mental illnesses. And so I had the stigma. It was, stigma was what was in my mind. And I could have gone on longer without help or treatment if I had not um, been urged very strongly by my husband at the time. I mean, my husband at the time we were dating and he urged me to get treatment and that's when I got my diagnosis. But it, it all surrounds the stigma around mental illness being something that is so taboo, something that is so shameful and guilt-ridden. And I don't think that should be the way because people really need help. It is a struggle and it is a painful thing to go through by yourself. And I hope my conversations with you and others alike will be a step towards the movement to normalize mental illness in our society and change this reality for people. You know, I think um, so many people are affected by um, mental illness that um, it absolutely, you know, needs to be discussed. It needs to, it needs to be understood. You know, we have a, and so I, I'm in, I'm in the Kansas city area and I, and so I used to work at this restaurant and every once in a while, and I think it's springtime, we would, we would have people that would kind of waft into the restaurant. There was this huge outdoor space. And so they would kind of come in and, and there would, there would be some type of disruption. And, and what it was is there is a, a mental health facility just a few blocks away that in the spring just tends to open the doors and, you know, Bid people I do, and and people clearly that are are not, you know, ready for the challenges that they face outside the the mental health facility. And I don't know if it's funding. I don't. I'm assuming it's funding. I mean, it would make sense to me that. Yeah. And so that's the thing is we just we just say you know, and so so many people at every walk of life, whether you're a CEO, whether you're you know, a creator, whether you're a housewife, uh, uh, you know, if you're homeless, it, it, it is affecting so many people. I'm curious, you were talking about treatment and diagnosis. And so what was the diagnostic process like? How does someone determine that this is, 
What was your process like? Mine was through talk therapy and a lot of data collection questionnaires and um, my mood monitoring. And those were the things like I had to fill out charts that showed like, oh, this, this was the time that I felt like this and this time I felt like that. And then they would chart it out to, watch, to look for a pattern. And mine was a very clear pattern of up and down, up and down over the weeks. What and so, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that, that, and that from the pattern, they, uh, from the pattern and talk therapy, they determined that I had bipolar disorder. Was it, um, oh, and so you and your, you and your now husband were, were, were dating at that time and, and he encouraged you to, to go and get some help. You started this diagnostic process and my quest, I guess, you know, my question is, was it, um, was it scary? Was it, well, did, did you go oh, in, did you go in thinking, I'm going to be diagnosed with a mental illness and I don't want to be? I mean, how did you feel? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But had the time that I was diagnosed, I was also doing very dangerous things. I was self-destructive. I was doing a lot of um, impulsive things and I was drinking a lot and I was, I had suicidal ideation and attempts. And so I knew when I went in, they were going to tell me that something was wrong with me. And it was a very scary feel, a very scary feeling, not knowing what that something was going to be. You know, how serious is this? But I also understood that from, I kind of understood. Like I, I understood, but I didn't want to because I, did, I wanted to be like everybody else. Everybody else in my mind, this elusive everybody, everybody else walks around life perfect with no problems and like they have problems but realistic problems problems right. that are like bills to pay or you know things like that and nobody and nobody has this sort of problem that was my thought and when I went in and the first thing that we talked about was managing my dangerous behavior risky behavior and then that kind of eased me into it we talked about uh, an emergency plan should you try this again, what is the plan? And I was part of the process. And that, that kind of gave me some kind of power too. It gave me some, some sense of power over what was going on because in that time I felt powerless. I felt like everything was going on around me and I was, it was almost like watching from outside my body all these things happening. And so the doctor saying, well, what is the plan? What would you like the plan to look like? And we talked about it, ambulatory services, if I should try it again, because I, that's, that's where I need to be. I need to be with doctors to make sure that I'm, I'm okay. And we talked about step escalating towards it before, now one step down before that, like how do we stop you from trying? And then we talked about how do we then stop the triggers from happening that makes you feel like you, you want to do that. And, you know, it was, it was a very methodical process with a trained professional. It's different from when you speak to somebody you know, like your friend, or like if I were to talk to my, my now husband, when we, when I talked about it, he's, he's all, you know, he's logical and he's realistic and he's looking at me and saying, well, look, everything's fine. You don't have anything to worry about and you just need to 
change the way you look at things. You need to stop thinking these things. You need to stop thinking doom and gloom. And he didn't understand that that wasn't how it worked. I wasn't choosing to think those thoughts. Those thoughts came to me. And so through the diagnosis and the process, although scary at first, I think I, I gained trust in the professional. Like I felt I, 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 he earned my trust. And so I felt like I was getting help. And then that, that good therapeutic relationship carried on and helped me get better and better each time we talk to each other. Do you think, do you think that, um, you know, so, so like, um, your husband, for instance, um, not, not necessarily him specifically, but people, people in general, do you think that because they, they maybe they deal with the fallout of, of someone else's mental illness in their life, do you, do you feel like they, they think, oh, you just need to change your behavior or you need to do this, you need to do that, or why can't you just be this way or, or that way? Do you do you think do you think they assign guilt to you sometimes? You think that's possible? Absolutely, absolutely. I don't think it's I don't think it's intentional that the guilt is assigned, but there is there is definitely the result of the interaction. Like even with my husband back then, he he had no idea. He had no idea what he was dealing with or how to deal with it, and so in his thoughts, the way we are raised without the knowledge of mental illness, right? We are raised to to chin up, push through. This is just you. Everybody has hard times. Everybody has problems. You pick up and you carry on. And so his formula would, would be like, well, get up in the morning, get out of bed and take a shower. You'll feel better. Or get out of the house today. You know, get out of the house and do something. Go shopping or or go go for a walk and you'll feel better. You'll clear your head and everything will, will come to you and you'll feel better. And these are formulas of like no, not knowing that this mental illness is debilitating. It's not that I don't want to get out of bed. But when they do things like that, when they say things like that, I do feel this immense feel of like I'm irresponsible with my life and irresponsible for the people around me. And I'm this burden because now he has to think of ways to make me feel better. He has to think of ways to help me get through my day. And I just could not. And that and that caused the guilt. Although his intentions were not not at all to make me feel guilty, right? His intentions were to help me. But to help me feel better and, and do better. So I do think like the result of such interactions definitely bring about guilt and shame. Yeah. Whether it's well me. I think it can be really difficult and so you know, obviously, you know, he or someone like him, you know, someone dealing with this has, has absolutely no idea what's going on or why. And, and so the first thing we want to do is we, we care, we love, we, we, we want to, we want to help. And we think that, you know, Hey, if you just do this, or if you just do that, then, then you'll feel better. And, and we feel like it's our duty. And, and so it's interesting, you know, you kind of touched on something a while ago that, you know, I've given some thought to, you know, throughout life and in, in that we, we tend to deal with the unknown or, you know, whether it's a person, an event, a situation, whatever, we, we tend to approach the unknown with this expectation of 
we all have this code of conduct and because of this code of conduct this is this is how you act and this is how you behave and this is how you respond and we 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 find it really easy i think to to enter into a situation or a relationship or 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 anything and when when people are not responding or acting or behaving in the way that our code of conduct says this is this is how things work it it's really it's off-putting and it's intimidating and it's so different that we're like what's wrong with you um you need to get out of bed you need to do this you need to do that and we don't understand that our laws of of code of conduct don't apply here they don't apply and um yeah and so you t- you've you've talked vaguely um you've mentioned several times treatment and i'm really curious because of everything that you've gone through. And this really, to me, sounds incredibly unmanageable. And, you know, we all, you're right, and we all have issues, we all have problems, whether it's, you know, how am I going to pay my bills, or how am I going to do this, or how am I going to do that? But when you add this extra element to how am I going to navigate a life like anyone else, but I have this issue, um, it seems overwhelming. And you talked about treatment and I'm curious, what, what is treatment? How does, how does treatment work with something like this? How, what do you do? So there, there are many kinds of treatment for sure. And I can only speak to mine. Like I say, I, I don't want anybody to think that I am you're mistaken me for an expert on the matter or anything. I'm an ex- expert on my experience. And for me, it's been talk therapy and drug therapy where I have, because bipolar disorder, it has, uh, an environmental factor, and then it also has a biological factor. And the environmental factors uh, help with talk therapy, where I can, like I said, the the therapist is a profession, a trained professional that can navigate these conversations and thought processes, and to help me better manage my life and thoughts and and um, behaviors. And then drug therapy helps me with the chemical imbalances levels out my chemical imbalances to reduce the stressors reduce reduce it's not it's not going away for me for me bipolar disorder is not something that's going away um so i have to learn how to manage and find therapeutic levels in my drugs so that i can be uh, at a balanced state and then i do talk therapy and i do i i do behavior modification so that i can um, reduce my stresses or triggers in my life and control my environment to keep this state of balance for myself. So, so and I, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I, I see my, my doctors regularly. I keep up with my treatment because even though on days that sometimes we call them boring days, I call them boring days with my therapist where nothing's going on and I'm not, I'm not in an episode and that's the thing. I have bipolar disorder, but I don't live in the episodes, right? These episodes come and go. And there are the times that sometimes prolonged times that I've, I've been in, um, uh, let's call it remission where I'm not in, I'm not experiencing any of the episodes at all. And so in those times, I still see, I still keep up with my doctors because my doctors get to, um, gauge a baseline. Of where I'm at, and so they know when something's off. Right, and, and and they can you know obviously understand 
you know, this is working and, and, and this is not working in, in your situation. And so exactly. I'm getting oh, I'm this. Sorry. Go Ask ahead. me about this. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was going to get there and <laughs> I lost track. But yes, my treatment, I, my therapist will probably be able to name all the kinds of, of um, tools that she's been using to work with me. But I am, the one that I use is CBT that I, I find easiest for me to use is CBT and thinking errors recognition and, um, um, and, and, um, reframing. So I would, I use this a lot because this resonates with me. This is my, my issue where I have thinking errors about say something simple as somebody coming up to you and saying, you look beautiful today. Normal person would go, thank you and feel good about it because you got a compliment for the day. But my mind, would go if I'm in my episode either hypomanic or depressive episodes my mind goes to what's wrong is there something wrong with the way I look that they felt like the need to tell me that or is there are they feeling sorry for me or did they why did they feel the need to tell me this and this anxious mind goes on and on and then I have to catch myself I have to find my logical mind and use my CBT mind to say stop that's a thinking error the you are minimizing and so i am discrediting the compliment given to me therefore now i acknowledge that there was a thinking error now i have to reframe it well it's really just a compliment i can take it as it is or i or just accept that i will never know what somebody actually really feels or thinks and so it will just be what what it is words is, so is, that's kind of that i use to process my thoughts and interactions. Is paranoia, is, is that an issue? Not for me. Not for you? Okay. I am. Um, you know, if someone told me, you know, hey, you look really good today, I, I'm, I'd i be like, hey, I was pretty yesterday. Did you did you not notice how pretty I was yesterday? <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I have learned a lot about bipolar. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm obviously it's, 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 I'm getting the sense from you that with what you're telling us is that, um, it's, you know, bipolar is not curable, but it's absolutely manageable. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. It's manageable in many different ways. What I, um, explained to you guys, I just, what I'm going through, but there's so many different kinds of symptoms that um, emerge for different people. And I, I hope the takeaway from this is that treatment is so important. And I know I, am, I I have heard a lot about how people don't have access to treatment, but I think the more we talk about these things and normalize it, it will hopefully in the future become something of a norm. Like you can, you know, a mo- more accessible um, kind of help for people. And because I think there has been um, a pertinent part of my healing process and growth. I'm not only healing anymore. I feel like now I'm in a place of growth and peace with living with it, living through it. Do you do you think um, do you think that your your writing has been part of that process of healing and and normalizing and and getting the sense oh, of wholeness? I mean, I wrote. I really started writing for my children. I have two beautiful little girls, and 
I often think about how I will protect them from the world like anybody else who has children. Your one mission in life is to keep our children safe, keep our children happy. And I often think about what happened what happened to me and how I hid it because not because my family didn't love me, but because of the stigma that told me that they would not love me and that and I could not process that. And so I wrote this book as a tribute to my children for them to know that their mother has gone through something really ugly and I'm still coming out. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still alive to tell my story. And I want them to grow into strong women that will know their place in the world and know that such violations are violations. And to know that if they had and to and to know that their mother tried to make the world a better place for them. And I hope by normalizing, I hope that the more we talk about these things and normalize mental illness and eradicate rape culture, I hope that this world will be a better place for my children. And that was the hope with the memoir. Are and they... for, my, for my children and for all our children. Are are your children are they aware that that there's an issue and that this is what the issue is? Are are they are they at an age where they can they can kind of process this? So I think we also we also have normalized mental illness in our house. I don't I haven't spoken to them about the rape. Of course, they're too young. I have a six year old and a four year old. But <clears throat> in our daily life, they are a very important part of how I manage too. So the way our household runs is very different. When I'm in my episode, my, we've spoken to my children and we've explained to them, I have, mommy has bipolar disorder and that means that sometimes her mind is not in its right place and sometimes I feel things that are not something that we can understand. It comes from nowhere. And so that's what she calls it. Are you crying from nowhere? And so they understand that part of it and they understand that I'm ill. And we normalize that in our home and they do their chores on their own and they brush their teeth and get breakfast and do all the simple tasks that they can do. And they're very independent children. And I know it sounds a little unconventional for children as young as them to be able to do all the things that they are doing. But I also feel that it's the beauty that has come out of this. I used to feel a lot of guilt and shame that my children had to do things that other children didn't have to do. But now there's a sense of pride in the independent and empathetic and kind and generous and loving children that they are and the understanding of um, the understanding in, in this whole situation that sometimes when mom is in this state, we're not able to do the things that you want to do. And they are very good with disappointment. They're dealing with disappointment and they're learning all these things. And that's why I think my children are the most amazing children on earth. But we are creating that our household, this is our life. I am their mother. And this is our life. And we get by the best we can. And this is what best looks like for us. Yeah, You know, everybody has their, everybody has their version of best. And everybody has, you know, this is, this is how this household or that household runs. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's amazing to me. I, I think it's kind of beautiful that, that you guys have this opportunity to, 
to have this issue and, and navigate life together. And, and there's an openness with the children of, you know, this is what mommy um, has going on. And so the thing is, is throughout life, they will, they will grow up understanding that sometimes people are very different and it, it yeah. doesn't need to be a stigma. It needs to be, you know, maybe understood so and, and acknowledged. Yeah. And this empathy is something I don't think is very easy to teach unless you experience. And I do feel like this experience in our homes, me being ill, has taught them empathy. And I think they are very empathetic children where nothing really phases them anymore. If someone looks different or someone's in a wheelchair, it's because someone's in a wheelchair. If someone's with a walking stick, it's because someone's with a walking stick. There's no stigma against around anything that is different. I think they are very empathetic knowing that everybody has different, everybody is different and that's okay. And that's not a lesson that's very easily taught. So I, I do attribute a lot of this illness to their empathy and generosity with their kindness. Kids are amazing, and and you know, kids can surprise you. And I, I think what 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 most people love about kids is they they have this they have this blend of innocence and curiosity. And so you know, and I'm in a wheelchair, and so kids will kids will walk up on me, and they're like, "Hey, what's that?" And um, there's no there's no ill intent in it. You know, a child yeah. will. A child is curious and a child wants to know and, and, you know, I, I wish we could be kids. I, you know, I, I wish we could, you know, that's the one thing that maybe we should be able to retain in life. That would be the, that would be the big blessing of, of just having this, this innocent curiosity of wanting to be a part of wanting to, kids just want to smile and they want to smile at you and they want you to smile. They want everybody to, to get along and, and, and just, celebrate it's life it's it's wonderful and um you know it's 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 i think you're i think you're going to have a hell of an adventure ahead of you you know you're you're writing a book a book you're on a blog and you're navigating life in in all of the basic ways that that other people are and you you have these challenges that you're living through and not with and um, that's absolutely amazing. You know, I, I think it's really easy for people to say, oh, well, so-and-so has this issue or that issue or, or whatever and, and, you know, have these, these mis- misunderstandings of them, these, these, you know, undue expectations. And you've really helped with a lot of that. I, you know, thank I entered this. I entered, thank you. I, I entered this conversation with no real understanding of, of what bipolar is. And one of the things you kind of touched on was um, you, you said something a minute ago, and I can't recall what it was, but it, it, it put this thought in my head of, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And, and it's interesting, you know, we got, to, we got to kind of walk a mile in your shoes. We still don't understand. We still don't. We don't know how you feel. Um... We don't know how you navigate life. We have a much better idea. We have a much better idea, and that's because you've been really forthcoming. Um, and so is when is the book coming out? I hope sometime this year, and 
hopefully maybe we can talk again once the book is out. <laughs> I would love to. I, I wanted to say one, one, la one last thing. I, uh, I mean, not one last thing. I wanted to say something I, trailing from what you were saying, walking in someone else's shoe and understanding. Um, I, I think a lot of people, this is a very important thing that people think they want to help somebody who's going through a hard time. And a very important thing is to understand that there are things that you don't understand and that's okay and you can still be of help. And how that is, is to help with no expectations and, and have true unconditional intentions. Not, not expecting by, I'm going to help you do A, B, and C. And when you get to C, therefore you should be able to do D, E, and F. Because understand that you don't understand a lot of things. And the person might not be able to meet those expectations, which might actually just be making things worse. So if you're going to help, just help for the sake of helping and help in the sense of what the person needs instead of what you think that person needs because that's usually more stressful and harmful and brings a lot of thoughts of burden and shame. On I, That's how I have felt in the past when people said that, no, these are the things you need to help and then I feel um, like I need to do them. I feel like a burden and I feel like I need to do those things and then I do them, but they don't help me because I'm even more stressed now because I didn't get what I actually needed. I might say something like, hey, can you take me to the doctor's appointment? And will you drive me to the doctor's appointment? And somebody might be like, well, you have your own car and like, why don't you um, get out of bed, and take a shower and get in the car, right? That's not helpful because what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying are thoughts that I'm not able to articulate in the in that moment, which is probably I cannot get into the car because I'm too anxious right now. I cannot drive myself there. I know I need to see this doctor, but I cannot I cannot go by myself. I cannot I cannot get myself there. I need your help to get me there. And so the I feel like the more helpful response would have been like I will be there in five minutes instead of having any questions or any suggestions or any expectations of how things should be. So if you're going to help somebody, please think about these things. You know, that may, be, that may be the best part of our conversation is um, what you just said, because um, people, people probably have absolutely, because we have absolutely no idea what bipolar is or what this situation or that situation um, is that someone's going through, I, I think you're 100% right. We, we enter into it with these expectations of if I, if I help you with A, B, and C, you know, D through Z is, is that's your, your, I, I've given you the nudge. I've pointed you in the right direction and now it's up to you. And, and that's how we treat children. We, we, we take them halfway through the alphabet. We, we raise them, we love them, we protect them, we encourage them, we support them. And then we have this expectation that now you just have this amazing life. And, um, we can't really always do that. Sometimes we have to say, okay, A, B, and C didn't work. Let's try, you know, D through R. Let's try whatever. And, and I think you're 100% right. That's, I really like the way you're looking at that and, and, and communicating that sometimes I, I need more help than you think I need. Sometimes um, 
I, I need help that, that is altruistic. There, there is no reward for you. Helping someone is helping them. There's no, yes, right. That's the whole, whole thing. You need to understand that if you're going to, that's, that's how I was raised. You help when you can, and there's no need for anything to, to come back to you. And I wish that this was something that everybody understood that we, although we sometimes sub, subliminally expect, have expectations that we don't under, we don't realize that we have. Yeah, I get that. And so hopefully the book will come out this year. And so you kind of beat me to the, to the punch on my own show. That's terrible. And so one, you know, one of the things I do at, at the, at the end of the show is I ask, can I call you again? I'm sorry. One, so one of the things I ask at, at the end of every show, and so the show is called never call me again. Never call me again. And, um, and so, you know, the, the premise, the whole, the whole premise is, 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 you know, I'm going to have this conversation with somebody amazing. They're going to tell us their story. We're going to fall in love with who they are and what they do. And, you know, the thing is, is we know that this is just the beginning of their story. And, and so, you know, people want to know, you know, what are they doing now? What are they doing a year from now? And, and so the idea of being able to bring a guest back and say, hey, you know, we, we got to know each other. We talked, my, my listeners loved you. And this is what you were, this was where you were headed a year ago, six months ago. Where are you now? What are you doing? And what's next? It's, it's that continued relationship. And so I always ask, can I call you again? Oh, absolutely. This has been delightful. I'm so thankful and grateful that you held space for me today to speak about this. And hopefully push normalizing mental illness and um, uh, eradication of rape culture and all the things that we talked about. And I hope that it's all your listeners got something out of it. And I hope for people who have had, who are going through it, know that they can hold on and there's hope and there's a way through it. It might not look like mine, but there is a way. And I hope that we also, through our conversations, help people who are, helping others have insight on how to help. So I definitely will come back. If you called me again, I would answer. And I'm so grateful um, for this conversation we've had today. Thank you. We, you're welcome. We are so grateful to have you. Um, I think you accomplished every single one of those things today. I think you shed so much light on on who you are, what you live through, and in in your book, and so we are really excited about the book coming out. Um, I think everybody that listens to one degree or another is going to have a better understanding of of who you are and and what bipolar is and what PTSD is, and and that there is there is a solution. It's 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 manageable. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amelia. And thank you for everybody that was listening today. If you would like to leave a message for either Amelia or myself, please do so. Down in the show notes, you'll find a link where you can leave us a voice message. And we would really appreciate um, hearing from you and, and being able to, to share more of this moment with you. You can connect with me on Instagram at Never Call Me Again Podcast. And please join me next week for my guest, Darren. Darren is a public speaker and has quite an amazing story. 